0: All right, if we can uh, come back and refocus. Now, I'm going to be wrapping up the series that I've been working on out of Jonah today. So... uh, (laughs) No, I might get closer this time. Uh, so we're going to we're gonna be uh, looking at chapter 4 out of the book of Jonah. And one of the things that, as I've been studying through it, that I tend to seem to have looked at and noticed is that this chapter, chapter 4 out of Jonah, seems to be the least taught about, the least preached on, probably the most neglected section of of Jonah and probably even the least familiar to us. You know, to me, one reason I like Jonah is out of all the Old Testament prophets, he really does seem the most human to me, the most relatable. Uh, I can relate to his rebelliousness. (laughs) I I can even relate to his bad attitude. But, you know, I, I long to be used by God in the same way he was without the bad attitude. Now, if you're familiar with with Christianity, you're probably familiar with the book of Jonah and what happened. Uh, if not, well, uh, I'm going to give a big summary, but a short snippet summary would be that Jonah was a wayward prophet who tried to run... From the task. God called him to do. First I was going to ask the question. Well I'm talking about Jonah. A prophet. What is or what was. A prophet. Prophets in the Old Testament. Had the task of. Faithfully speaking God's word. Mm -hmm. To the people. They were. The people who were. Who guided the nation of Israel. They were made known God's laws to men. They called the people back to obedience to God's ways. They exhorted people to worship God with a pure heart, with sincerity. They would foretell future events which God had willed. They recorded the word of God in holy scriptures. And as in Jonah's case, they would warn of divine judgment sin. now last week uh, camille had talked about jesus's great commission where jesus had told his disciples to go and go into all the world and preach the gospel well here god had told jonah to go go and preach to the ninevites the only trouble is jonah went in the opposite direction yeah, and it wasn't because he was afraid, feared for his life, feared what would happen to him. It was because he was afraid. If he warned these people of the coming judgment, that they would repent, and that Nineveh would not be destroyed, and he wanted to see that city destroyed. Sounds like yeah, you know. Uh, so he runs in the opposite direction. The huge fish swallows Jonah. God used him to bring Jonah back and set him back in the right direction. So Jonah goes and preaches this great revival in the city of Nineveh. These people were a violent and evil culture. But when the people heard Jonah's preaching, they repented in dust and ashes. The revival, the revival swept through the city. And it's one of the most amazing stories in the Old Testament. I mean, basically the whole city was brought into God's kingdom. And we know that these people were truly converted and will be in heaven because of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, he said, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's proclamation. And look, something greater than Jonah is here. So, these people who were born and lived in a God hating culture, they repented and they were sorrowful for their sin. Now, the book of Jonah is pretty unique among the prophetic books of the Old Testament because it has. Virtually no prophecy. It simply tells the what happened to Jonah. We might use the term. It's a narrative of what happened to Jonah. You know, the, all, all the other Old Testament prophets record actual words, prophecies. The Lord said this. Thus saith the Lord. But this book is a story about a prophet. It's history. And it ends. On somewhat of a, for us anyway, a sour note. Have you ever been to to a symphony, and you've heard the symphony, and and you you have the uh, the the build up, and the and it dies down, and it it has to end. Music has to end on a on a positive note. If if it ends on a on on a with a dissonant sound, you're left. It's not finished. You know, end it, end it. That, to me, the book is, is is like a symphony that leaves you hanging. It, you, something needs to happen to complete it. You know, when you read Jonah the first time and you read it all the way through, you're going to wish that it ended with chapter three. Yeah. You know, that's where it should end. That would be the, up, the ending. You know, the, the revival has taken place. Ta-da! But... But mission accomplished. accomplished. And you're going to think. Oh this revival has deepened. Jonah's own repentance. Despite his first attempt to flee God. Who would not want to see a revival like this. But the effect on Jonah was the exact opposite. Instead of bringing him joy. It drove him. Into a deep bitterness. A shameful rebellion really. And that's. That's what we see here. And I got to look at how awful is Jonah. And then I realized that all that scripture is doing here is showing us Jonah in real life. And it does show us a prophet who could have been legendary. But in this case, he's really reduced to a whiner throwing a temper tantrum. And then I realized something else is that We can't be too critical of Jonah because we're not any better than he was. We're not far from him. And you know, one thing that you do have to admit and think about is that Jonah did write this. You know, if he had just written the first three chapters and this had happened and he'd left it out, we would never know that. So you've got to give him some credit That he was honest in in recording how badly that he acted. You know. hmm. Well, let's let's turn to chapter four. I'll talk about that. Chapter four says this Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sin and disaster. And now, Lord, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. And the Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Well, Jonah left the city and sat down east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord appointed a plant and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased at the plant. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant And it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it is better for me to die than live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, he replied, it is right. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their left and their right, as well as many animals? And that ends chapter four of Jonah, the whole book. But there are lessons that I think are vitally important to us in this chapter. Lessons that we must take to heart. Now, to understand, I think maybe it helps if we understand Jonah just a little bit more and why he hated the Ninevites so much. Uh, I've pointed this out a little bit before, but you've got to think about Nineveh. The, the Assyrians, this was the worst culture that existed in the world at that time. They were bitter enemies of the people of God. Jonah hated them beyond description. And I got to thinking, it's probably like how some Christians have hatred today and, and express it in all the wrong ways I mean Christians have hatred toward our deteriorating and corrupt culture I mean we do live in a culture that does not protect the unborn we live in a culture that disdains marriage we live in a culture that mocks Christian values we live in a culture that represents everything unrighteous like I said we've got a lot in common with Jonah But I don't think our reaction should be the same as his. Nineveh represented everything unrighteous. It was the capital city of Assyria. Assyria was the rising power in the days of Jonah. It was a threat to the very existence of Israel. The Assyrians were legendary for being ruthless killers. They were known for waging brutal war. After defeating a place, they would wipe out every man, woman, and child. They would build pyramids out of their enemies' severed heads. They display their enemies' bodies like trophies. These are the people of Nineveh. They seem to love gore and violence and love to cause fear in the hearts of their enemies. Yeah. the Assyrian military when they did their battles well most world empires when they would conquer a place they would leave a small army a garrison to rule over that city and they would leave the city intact after they had conquered it you know they would there would be an occupation army so to speak not the Assyrians the Assyrians figured out that they could avoid splitting up their army. They could avoid having an occupation army if they just killed everything. So when they conquered a place, they would just wipe it out. Man, woman, child, wholesale slaughter. If the people of the conquered city are dead, there's no reason to leave behind a part of your army. That was their thought. Other empires in history conquered territory to expand their empire the assyrians conquered for the for sheer pillage and destruction they left the cities reduced to ashes this is who the people of Nineveh were in the time of Jonah everyone in Israel was familiar with the assyrians and their thirst for destruction and as far back as Moses in the old testament god had prophesied that he would use Israel's enemies as a rod of his judgment if Israel was unfaithful to him. And in, in Jonah's day, Israel was particularly unfaithful to God. And so Jonah, I think, was very much aware that God could and most likely would use Nineveh, use Assyria, rather, to judge Israel. And this is ultimately what happened. So now you can see a little bit of why, from Jonah's perspective, it really contradicted everything about him to travel to Nineveh and warn them of God's judgment and tell them to repent. He did not want God to show mercy to these people. But what had happened? Jonah had lost sight of God's tender mercy and his saving grace. He was prepared to see Nineveh destroyed, but he was not prepared to see those people saved. He could not bring himself to celebrate their salvation. Remember what Jesus taught about this? Jesus taught that there is nothing that brings more joy in heaven. Than the repentance of a sinner. And so this chapter. What it's teaching us is how God. Views sinners all sinners. But it also teaches us how God worked. To address this. Incredibly horrible imbalance. In Jonah's theology. You know the first lesson. That I want to take a look at is. Called the lesson, well, I call it, you know, the lesson of the weed. A weed, a plant, a gourd. You know, in verse 1, it says that Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. Why? Well, think about it. His pride has been hurt. I mean, he went to Nineveh and he preached that God was going to destroy that city. Well, now the people have repented. They've turned to God and God's not going to destroy the city. God's favor to Nineveh looks like disfavor to Jonah. And here's a warning signal for us to keep in mind. Whenever God's goodness to someone else begins to feel like an insult to you. You've got a spiritual problem that needs to be addressed. Just like Jonah. Remember what Jesus said uh, in the parable about the the day laborers. You had the landowner who was kind to the workers that even started very late in the day. And Jesus was using this parable to, to teach that God has every right to do what he wants with his own. He can pay everybody the same amount. And we should not be upset or bitter when God is good to others Jonah had no right to be resentful of God's goodness to Nineveh but you know this is a I think a typical attitude of a sinful heart a typical attitude of human pride and I would dare say that we probably all felt this to one extent or another at some time in our Christian walk So Jonah was convinced that his hatred of Nineveh was a righteous hatred. And he believed that God was obligated to hate them as well. The thought of divine mercy being extended to people like this utterly disgusted him. He felt like they were not worthy of the compassion of God. Because of their sin. Now, by definition, mercy is something that we don't deserve. No one has a right to demand God's grace. No one has a right to demand God's mercy. It's given to us freely. But on the same same side of things, any sinner who has received God's grace has no right to begrudge God showing grace and mercy to other sinners, no matter if you see your sins as small and see the other persons as great. You know, this is like another parable where you know a man, one man was forgiven a tremendous debt. That great, great debt was forgiven. And yet he went out and found somebody who owned him just a small amount. And begins choking him. Wanting payment in full. This is exactly. How Jonah. Was acting. God had forgiven Jonah. For really forgiven him. Of an unpayable debt. But Jonah. Demanded justice for the earthly. You know Jonah had offended God. Nineveh. Had just. Earthly offenses so to speak. Even though they were horrendous so in one sense Jonah's offense against God was greater than Nineveh's offense and yet he was saying they're worse off than me now don't miss the significance of verse 2 please Lord isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country that is why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place it's as if remember Jonah fled once, he gets on the ship and heads to Tarshish, thrown overboard, swallowed by the great fish, comes back. God gives him a second chance. What Jonah's saying here is, remember that sin that I repented of way back when I got spit up by the fish? Well, I've decided I wasn't wrong at all about that. What you you did to the Ninevites proves that I was right. I knew you were going to do this. He says it. He says, I knew you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to anger. I knew it. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost funny to read. Because here Jonah is talking about how he knew God's mercy. Yet he didn't appreciate it at all. He didn't understand the way it should be. I mean, he's saying to God, I know that you, that I know you're merciful. I know you're compassionate. I just think you're giving it to the wrong people. I mean, <laughs> you're giving it to these sinful people as if Jonah himself wasn't sinful. But God had an object lesson to teach Jonah and through that to teach us to teach us as well. And that object lesson is that God's compassion is for sinners, for all sinners. You know, Jesus said, "I have not come for the righteous to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. And so God chose this moment when Jonah was really at his worst, angry, rebelling, pouting, complaining to God. Because in Jonah's view, God was being too merciful. And at that very moment, what does God do? He shows Jonah grace. And now the Lord, and now Lord, Jonah says, Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. And God appeals to him very gently. He says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Well, Jonah just blows by this tender plea. Jonah left the city and sat down the east of it, makes himself a shelter and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah takes a few branches. He takes some scrub brush, some tumbleweed. And remember, this is the desert. You're not going to find much to build a shade with. And he sets down in this real simple shelter. And he, it's really not even enough to provide him shelter from the desert sun. He sits underneath this little lean-to, waiting to see what would become of the city. And notice that he's still holding on to the vain hope that God's going to respond to his little temper tantrum by destroying Nineveh anyway. And here's where God teaches Jonah that mercy is for sinners. While he sits there pouting in that shelter, God causes a miracle to occur. Some kind of a plant, a gourd plant, a some verses might say it, call it a climbing gourd. Uh, I'm going to call it a weed. And the reason I call it a weed is my own life experience. When I was growing up, one of my first jobs was helping a next door neighbor pull weeds from their flower garden. Now, this was an old man at that time who was probably in his late 80s. And he says, Roger, do you know the difference between a flower? and a weed and I said no and he goes well a weed is any plant that's out of place and so you know what he was referring to is there were some flowers that had grown up uh, because the seeds had been scattered but they were not in the right place so I was even he had me pulling up flowers flowering plants that were in the wrong place so any plant out of place is a weed so this is just a weed all right But anyway, it grew up at a supernatural rate. Overnight, it grew up large enough to provide shade for a man. Think about that. That's a pretty fast-growing plant, Mm -hmm. isn't it? The Lord appointed a plant, and it grew up to provide shade over Jonah's head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. So God showed Jonah compassion. The very kind of compassion that Jonah was resentful of. And yet, when he received this compassion, Jonah's heart became glad. I mean, Jonah was glad to receive this token of grace from God. But here's what Jonah remembers. Jonah still thought this. This is is Jonah's thinking. God is supposed to hate Jonah wicked and wrathful God's not supposed to be merciful to sinners that bad but Jonah was wrong God extends mercy to all sinners to Jonah and to the people of Israel this was lesson number one from the plant that compassion is for all sinners now God teaches Jonah a second lesson this time it's not the weed but the worm <clears throat> when day came when dawn came the next day god appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered one day later here's a worm that destroys the plant that was providing jonah shade and the worm ate the plant so quickly that it died As miraculously, as fast as it had sprung up. And God used this to teach Jonah another lesson. And that lesson is that compassion is for people, not things. If you skip down to verse 11, God tells Jonah, You cared about the plant, which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care About that great city. Nineveh. So this is God's way of really pointing out. The irony. Of the situation. You know. Jonah was angry at God. For destroying his shade plant. And angry at God. For not destroying the people of Nineveh. Get this. Jonah loved a weed. No. I mean. Jonah loved a weed and hated the people of Nineveh. How messed up, how twisted is that? He wanted God to destroy a city full of tens of thousands of people, men, women, and children, but he thought it was wrong of God to destroy a silly weed. Jonah was wasting all of this pity and compassion on a weed. When it was much more fitting to have it for the people of Nineveh. People. Especially sinful people. Are where we should focus our compassion. Jonah's refusal to have compassion. On this city. While he's mourning for his. Pet plant. Was an incredibly. Was an incredible sign of. Selfishness. (coughs) But. But. You've got to still remember something. And this, this is what you have to balance. Jonah. Was a righteous man. In the sense that he was a believer. He was one of God's prophets. He was called by God. Yet he had so much. Wickedness in his heart. And I think that this should be a. A warning, even a rebuke for all of us, that we could be more like him than we think we are. This is, I think, a good illustration of, of how depraved the fallen human heart can be, even a redeemed heart. Now, God appoints a third object lesson for Jonah the lesson of the wind as the sun was rising God appointed a scorching east wind the sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted we've got the lesson of the weed which is, com- is compassion for sinners the lesson of the worm compassion is for people not for things And now the lesson of the wind, compassion is for others, not for self. Notice in all of this that the one person that Jonah felt more sorry for than anybody else was himself. And in in one sense, that's ridiculous because what God was doing to Nineveh was not the least bit hurtful in any way to Jonah. Jonah. But Jonah chose to become bitter. I mean, this whole chapter is filled with Jonah's self-pity. And back in verse 3, Jonah says, Please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, what a whiner. You know, I mean, let me explain here. Jonah is not really wanting to die. He's just feeling sorry for himself. He's being overly dramatic. Uh, he's basically acting like a three-year-old, letting his emotions control, have control over his soul instead of letting his understanding of the truth of God keep some restraint on that emotion. He knew the truth. He says it. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. So why doesn't he let that knowledge drive his behavior Rather than his own self pity, I mean, you, you look at it here and you see that Jonah's going through wild and crazy mood swings. <sighs> Bad idea, you know. You can see his emotions just jerking him around. This is what's happening, and the and the minute God shows him the least bit of favor, you know, so in, so in verse three, Jonah's depressed, wants to die. By verse six, God shows him the least bit of favor with the weed providing shade, and Jonah cheers up. He's joyful about a weed. And he he th- maybe maybe he thought this indicated God was going to give him his way now. And God was going to destroy Nineveh after all. <laughs> I mean so so Jonah had his shelter, he now had his shade, so he's got his tailgate party going, he's waiting to see if To see if Nineveh is going to be destroyed, Bojangles Bojangles biscuits. Here's one thing to get those. That I think Jonah had this mindset, as I think a lot of people might today, that any sign of divine favor is a sign that God approves of me, and if God approves of me, He disapproves or despises my enemies. But that's not what this token of grace or, or favor was intended. This was really meant to do the opposite. You know, Scripture tells us that God's kindness toward us is not necessarily to, to show that he agrees with everything that we do, but it's meant to lead us to repentance. That's what Romans teaches us, that And I think we all sometimes tend to respond to God's kindness in the wrong way. His kindness is a plea for our repentance, not necessarily a sign of his approval. And this is why it is perfectly appropriate for God to show grace to sinners like the people of Nineveh. Verse 8 continues, The sun beat down so much on Jonah's head that he almost fainted. Jonah was happy. Well, first Jonah was sad and wanted to die. Then he's happy with the plant. Now, when it died and the sun started beating down on him and he was ready to faint, he wanted to die again. So you can see he's going from one extreme to the other and back again. Jonah went from self-pity to gladness back to wallowing in self-pity. When things went Jonah's way, Jonah was happy. When things didn't go his way, He was ready to kill himself. And I struggle and go, you know, I think there's nothing uglier than self-pity. I mean, it's it's especially when you look at Jonah. It's pretty disgusting. But I think of it, too. I mean, think of pity. What good is self-pity? Pity is no good to use on yourself. And I also find it interesting that that you know God still just says something like Jonah. Is that really the way that you want to act? I, I, I struggled struggled this, and I, and I thought, man, God is so gracious. If I were in God's shoes here, after Jonah had fled away from what I had first told him to do, had this fish swallow him, comes back, and now he's acting like this, I don't think I would have shown him grace like this. I would have probably been quite heavy-handed with him. I said, "I've given you one chance." And now look at this attitude. I would have thrown the book at him or been a lot more strict in coming down hard on Jonah than I would have been in the first place. And yet that's not what God did, is it? Well, if he did, then look at yourself as long as we've been Christians and some of the things we do why doesn't God go that's it well that's exactly right that's exactly right so we see again God's tender plea is it right for you to be angry about the plant you know God's saying Jonah is it really good for you to be angry with me for dispo- for destroying a plant that I gave you in the first place Now, here is, to me, Jonah's shocking and I guess I would call it rude behavior toward God. Jonah says, yes, it's right. I'm angry enough to die. I have every right to be angry. I'm going to be angry about this until the day I die. That's, I mean, you can see his temper tantrum. here. This is the attitude. And he's being totally selfish, totally focused on himself as if he's the only person in the world. And that as if he's the only person deserving of God's compassion. Jonah felt sorry for the plant. He felt sorry for himself. But he didn't have any compassion for the people of Nineveh. And that's it. Jonah's entire story, his entire account, ends right there. It stops. Now there is a little bit of a of a of a sequel. That you find in the book of Nahum. And we know that. Later on. God. Did destroy Nineveh. About a century later. But this generation. At the time of Jonah. They were spared. What became of Jonah. Well. He did record. Write down what was in this book. And it's possible. And. I like to think likely that maybe he had a change of heart at some point. Maybe he eventually repented of his rebellious attitude. I mean, he did write this down and he did not portray himself in a very positive light. So this kind of suggests to us that maybe his bitter heart over time softened at least somewhat and that maybe his focus turned away from himself hopefully he learned the value of people over things and hopefully he learned eventually to love sinners as well as the people of God and he recorded this as a lesson for all of us you know the true Christian spirit is not merely zeal but it's zeal tempered in love. And I think this is an attitude that Christ. Calls all of us to have. Uh, in Matthew Jesus said. But I tell you. Love your enemies. And pray for those. Who persecute you. <coughs> so that you may be sons of your father. In heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil. And the good. And to send rain on the righteous. And the unrighteous. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have the same attitude as God, if you want to have the heart of the Father, do good to your enemies. Show them true love and compassion. Focus your compassion not merely on people you love, but on the unlovable as well. Sinners need compassion more than saints do focus your compassion on people not things a person needs more compassion than a plant people made in God's image are much more (coughs) fitting objects of our concern than weeds or plants or animals so we're called to focus our compassion on others not ourselves Self-pity has no place in the heart of a Christian. The thing is, we, I think we all have tendencies of Jonah in our hearts. And yet the love of Christ is the opposite. And so I think our prayer should be for the Lord to teach us to nurture the Spirit of Christ oh. in us. And fight against the spirit of Jonah every single day. Well, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the lessons from this book that teach us your goodness. And your tender compassion. And Father we pray that you would help us to be examples of that. Of that compassion. Help us to love others more than ourselves. To not be captivated by things. But to be focused on people. Father help us not to be so focused on. Fellowship and with one another that we forget about the sinners we need to reach. May our lives be a reflection of the mind of Christ. May we have the spirit of Christ and not the spirit of Jonah. And Father, we ask this in your holy name. Amen. we're going to do communion right? Well, there's there's one thing I wanted to as I was thinking about how to kind of tie in Jonah to to communion. And I wanted to just take a minute and 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 let you ponder something else here. And that is that have you ever taken the time to notice that Jesus referred to his own death and resurrection as the sign of the prophet of Jonah. If you think about that, Jonah's experience, the raging sea and the cross, they're both places of desperation and death. The fish, the giant fish, and the tomb are a step away from life toward death. In both cases, God is the one responsible. He tells the fish to deposit Jonah on dry land and he exerts his power to raise Jesus Christ from the dead. And yet, we look at the similarities and I think the differences cause the gospel to shine even more. You know, Jonah describes his his experience in, in terms of death, but Jonah's end mission was not to die, simply to preach. Jesus' mission was to preach and to die the reason that Jonah came close to death was because of his own sin the reason Jesus died was utterly different Jesus died not because of his own sin but because of the sin of others Jonah did not go willingly to enter the regency he was thrown in He did not go willingly into the whale. The great fish. He was swallowed. And it was God's decision. Not Jonah's. But Jesus willingly went to the cross. For this reason. The father loves me. Because I lay down my life. That I might take it up again. Jonah grudgedly obeyed God. And went to Nineveh to preach. But that. But Jesus' death was an act of pure love and obedience. After the fish, Jonah's work was just beginning. At the cross, Jesus said, it is finished. You know, all these differences, uh, we think about the responses. Here, Jonah, weak, Sinful hatred in his heart, and the people of Nineveh accept Jonah's preaching. They repent humbly, immediately, and completely, and yet not so the people of Jesus' generation. Yeah, that's what Jesus was saying. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up in judgment against this generation. His own generation did not heed his message. And why do I bring this up? Well, it matters because it points to our perfect Savior whom we celebrate with communion today. A Savior who willingly died for our sins rather than his own and who was raised from the dead by God ah. to unimaginable <clears throat> splendor. Rejected by his own people but praised forever forever us. This is the gospel message that we celebrate in communion this morning. There's one verse in Ezekiel 33 that says As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways.